Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, it is a, you know, it's the end of an era. Um, I I guess as we're recording this, it's not officially official, but uh, as we record this on Monday night, the Evanston City Council is in all likelihood going to be approving the Ryan Field renovation. Um, So, you know, it was a big moment. I think at this game uh, this past weekend felt like a big moment. And as, you know, as we are wont to do uh, in these big moments, we got to turn to our special guest tonight, uh, Jay Sharman. Uh, You might know him uh, from his blog, Lake the Posts. You might know him from his uh, organization, Teamwork Media. Um, But we know him as one of the most diehard Northwestern fans out there. Uh, Jay, thanks for taking the time to jump on with us tonight. Um, Like I said, it's a real special situation. Thanks for having me, guys. Treat to be here. This is, we were talking about this is all just like the perfect these stars aligning, Jay, because obviously we've had you on before multiple times. We, you had us in your shop. I remember to talk about the the ninety five Notre Dame game, which was yep. an amazing situation. But we kind of have multiple things coming together because we we're beyond proud to announce that Teamworks Media is now a sponsor for the pod, um, and that in the course of that we're going to be integrating. Um, a special segment into the pod on a weekly basis that we will get to later in the pod. That's just like fantastic. But in the context of that, like we were going to have you on anyway to talk about those things. And it coincides with this moment that we wanted to have you on anyway, because we were talking about the last time that we had you on, I think was in the, was maybe the run up to the big 10 championship game in 2020. Um, Yeah, I think so. And talking about just like having you on and just talking about putting the moment in context, right? Like being in the middle of an unbelievable moment and saying like, oh, this is um, such a special moment. And it's a special moment when we look at the whole length of Northwestern football, right? And in a very special way, this is one of those moments. I mean, this is just talking about this season from a larger perspective. This is a miracle season. I mean, Northwestern was supposed to be two and 10 and here we are bowl eligible. Um, and here we are, you know, a couple of days ago, Sam and I were standing on Ryan field surrounded by a bunch of people having a celebration. And, uh, I mean, Jay, I mean, for, as someone who's been in this world this deep, as long as anyone, like, what does this particular moment here mean to you? I mean, I think you nailed it, John, right? I mean, it's like, if you ever saw the movie La La Land, right, the ending where it's like the sliding doors of life of what could have been, I mean, I, thanks to you guys, you had me off the floor earlier in the season because I would have taken the under on Vegas, right? Total wins, what was it, two and a half? And yeah. Was, yeah, something like that. I think we were all kind of like, okay, UTEP, Howard, and and dot, 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 right? And it was... There is an alternative universe that I talked about that, you know, I happen to have um, a few friends who are have influence in the program. Right. And there is an alternate universe where you could see this season going two and ten, a stadium being put on the chopping block and a next five, ten years. I mean, dark ages. There was there was a door. 
there was a path, as you always like to say, John, there was a path to a really, really dark place. And I think uh, one of my friends, Dan Shanoff, the best text I got after the game, I think he nailed it. Credit to him. While 1995 was the miracle season, he said, this is miracle adjacent. And if you put in a context, all of the big picture, the pivot to the new Big Ten, the stadium, you know, the national infamy from the scandal, all of those things into a stew. And you just sit back and look what David Braun did having a newborn child thrust into the situation in July and for him to come out the other side, six and five with a potential for seven and five. It's, I mean, I, I am biased. I don't know how he's not national coach of the year, right? Big 10 coach of the year is a lock, but you look at, we're going to look back at this season, this moment. And there, there is some kind of Northwestern-y, serendipity with the the closing hopefully of of rising ryan field right with this moment but it's huge i honestly would put it up there as the second biggest season of the modern day era only behind 95 and you know we, we didn't mention it but you know since we recorded last it was made official david braun is the northwestern head coach moving forward which you know we talked about that after last game you know just the outpouring of support for for Braun to you know, remove the tag, um, and and they they did that, and you know for the team to come out, uh, everyone know everyone knew the the significance of of that game against Purdue, um, from the stadium, from bowl eligibility to you know Braun's first official game as no tag head coach, uh, just the significance there, and like everyone everyone knew that, and there was this this feeling you know in in the tailgate leading up to the game. Uh, people were um, just kind of taking it in, and I, I know I found myself, you know, at the tailgate before the game, just really taking it in. It's like, okay, this is the end of an era and the beginning of a new one, and you know what? What better juxtaposition than you know to have the the last game at the old stadium to open to you know be stepping into the future with with David Braun and you know. To, to go to a bowl game right away, it's like it, it's just such a great feeling. I, I'm having trouble finding the right words for this. Uh, a stat to put it in context for me, and this is something Northwestern football tweeted out, and actually I believe some others had it first, but um, after the last game, we didn't mention it in the last podcast. We spent a lot of time talking about remove the tag and how much Braun had done. I, I think I went on for a while about it's it's not just the, the wins that he has, but the way he's gone about um his relationship with players and their families, the way he's engaged with the media, just the, the um, humbleness and the, the authenticity. And, you know, I, I, I quipped transparent for a college football coach. Uh, and it's the way, you know, that we talked in the past about, he kind of wears, um, wears his answers on his face and on his sleeve to a certain degree um, when he's being asked about things in, in media, et cetera. But uh, the stat is that he's the first Northwestern head coach with five plus wins in his first season in 120 years. Right. And granted, um, 120 years ago, they didn't play that many games in a season. So there's certainly some, you know, <laughs> some inflation in that stat, but still it's, it's really stunning. And when you think about the number of winning seasons, Northwestern has had the number of bowl games that we went to. And, you know, obviously Fitzgerald was huge in, you know, taking us from from the mir the miracle of ninety five, the miracle of ninety six, 
the miracle of 2000 and building a a a floor into this program of of kind of sustained success um obviously that fell apart the last four seasons but to win like seven and five that we can get to that that's kind of a rare result for Northwestern. And I don't mm-hmm. think enough, enough credence has been paid to that. Yeah. I it's, it's funny to me there's, and Jay, you talked about it earlier relative to the wins and losses and that the comment, which is so great about miracle adjacent to me, there are two pieces of that because as Scuzz just mentioned, like we think back because we were there for it, the 2000 season and of course, it's like what's similar there, like the, you know, we were predicted to finish last in the Big Ten that year. We were predicted to finish last in the Big Ten this year. And obviously there's that huge turnaround from a football standpoint. And even like on a week by week basis, like I remember when we beat UTEP, Sam and I were outside the locker room after that game. It was this massive celebration because it was like this was the first legit home win. And then when Minnesota happened, it was like, oh, my God, there's this miracle. We picked up a Big Ten win in the most exciting fashion. <laughs> and, you know, like always like this little piece of like, well, if it all if this is as good as it gets, this mm-hmm. was pretty good, you know, and then it just kept getting better and better and better. So there's that feel from a football standpoint. But then there's the whole other piece. And when I think of miracle adjacent, this is probably the biggest part that I think of. Sam talked about. All alluded to all the experiences we had talking with people before the game. Well, we talked with a lot of people after the game. And specifically, we talked with a bunch of parents of football players, like on the field after the game. And we had conversations with parents who got choked up in the conversations because this has been one of the hardest, you know, situations that their families had to go through, right? That it has been absolute at times, an absolute nightmare for them. And that they're just that they're talking about this and just being, you know, it's almost like, I mean, thankful on one hand, but just the emotional swing of all of this Mm. for so many people connected to this program. And just that we all get to have this together, I think is one of the big things that I think of when I think of miracle adjacent. Yeah, I mean, what was it like for you being on that field? It was it was pretty pretty great. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. And like, you know, at at, at the end of the game, you know, the students rushed the field and then everyone just kind of came out. And with the exception of one security guard who was, you know, feeling himself and was like, nope, can't come out here. And everyone just kind (laughs) of went around him. But like it was it was calm. It was it was uh, so not solemn, but like everyone was just taking it in. Did, and, did they do you know, the announcement throughout the game of like, no, you're not allowed on the field like they've been doing yes. earlier in the year? Yeah, they did. Okay. All right. And it was like, okay, cool. Thanks. Appreciate that. Go ahead and, and give it, you know, arrest every, every single person on this field and charge us with felonies. It's That's a lot. Li- it's ahead. a liability thing. They got to do it. But, of course. Of course. It yeah. is. Of course it is. But like, you know, People are out there. I, you know, some people were like lying on the turf and getting pictures taken, like at the fifty-yard line. And um, I had the uh, the great fortune to be part of the Numalum uh, halftime uh, extravaganza with the retirement of longtime uh, director of bands Mallory Thompson. Um, I got to go. I went out on the field at halftime, and <clears throat> you know, I'm walking down. And, I saw a divot. I bent down and picked up a little divot and put it in my pocket. Nice um, from from the fifty yard line, uh, and it's just like okay, 
because I, I I wasn't sure if we'd be able to if there would be an opportunity to get back on the field. I'm like I'm I'm out here, and it struck me at at that point that I was on the field the very first time it was Ryan Field. Yeah, oh my God, you it was, were. It was that was my sophomore year in marching band as we you know formed the the name Ryan on the field because it was you know the big big deal going from Dyke Stadium to Ryan Field. But I was out there on the field the very first game that it was Ryan Field, and I was out there on the field the very last game it was Ryan Field, and that really that really struck me at just how how cool that was. It's I mean we've talked about it a lot this year as this team has hit some of the big milestones of this season, but the nature the special nature of the Northwestern community and how intimate and connected it was. And that was very much on full display, like on the field. We were down there, like Sam said, I mean, like Sam talked about at halftime, but the band honored Mallory Thompson on the field after the game. Like there was a big thing that they did for her. So that was happening on the field. And then all the families, you know, all the family families of the players um, were down there and the players were all out on the field. And I don't mean like all in one big mob celebrating the immediate aftermath of the game. I mean, like Sam was saying for like half hour, 45 minutes, like after the game, everyone's just hanging out, just living on the field. And then we saw all of the people who run the wild side and we saw a hide of them. It was just, everyone was there. Um, and you know, and just, you're, you're seeing all these people, you know, and you're all connecting and everyone's sharing that joyous moment together. And like I said, I mean, I think there's, an initial emotional element to it because of everything that we all have collectively gone through over the period of this time. Um, that, and, and at the same time, right, that nostalgic feeling that Sam's talking about that is washing over everyone when they're on the field and looking up at, you know, being on the field and having that vantage point to look up and look at all the all Americans, like on the front there, you know, and, and take it all in and be like, all right, this is the last time I'm going to see it as it's all laid out like that. And it, it was a powerful moment. A powerful moment in a dream season. I'm you know, trying to John, think. You, you guys oh, have done such a good job all year of like, you're so, I, I, you got me, me and so many people through some dark times and I don't know how you do it, you know, kind of get yourself up the mat early in the season and, and come on and, and give us a path. But <laughs> you were so superstitious. I'd laugh listening to you guys about not wanting to go down the road of like, the seven contiguous things that had the seven game parlays that would have to happen for Northwestern to kind of sneak into to Indy. But I mean, in typical Northwestern fashion, no one outside of the Northwestern fan base even realizes how close this team's a goal line stand at Wrigley away from competing for, for the West title on Saturday. Like it's just if, if, insane. Again, to your point about like not jinxing anything, if we beat Illinois, and if Nebraska beats Iowa, both of which could absolutely happen, yeah. we will have lost the West on one 52-yard field goal. Yeah. That's how close it is. It's unbelievable. It's insane. <laughs> I've used the term preposterous a lot this season, and it is, it is preposterous that that is, has come to fruition. I mean, what, what a way to send out not just Ryan Field. Um, and to establish this new era with Braun. But what a way to send out the Big Ten West. Yeah. <laughs> Such a Big Ten West way of, of going out, too. I was I like I, I was struck as Jay as you asked the question about how it felt being on the field and then Sam hearing you talk about 
bookending the Ryan Field experience. I was trying to think of the last time that fans legitimately rushed the field after a game. And obviously, so there's not been any field rushing the last couple seasons for good reason. Um, 2020, there were no fans. And in 2018, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. So, you know, beating Wisconsin at home, I believe that was homecoming uh, late October in 2018. That was a big deal. We played Notre Dame the following weekend and lost um, at home. Mm-hmm. I was there for that game. But then the the huge win was on the road against Iowa the following week that clinched yeah. the West. And then uh, a big a, a win against Minnesota the following week. I, they played they played Illinois at home on November twenty fourth. I can't imagine that there was much of a field rush there. Maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people made their way out there. But like, I can't think of a time. The last the last one that I'm that's popping to my head was the triple overtime win against Michigan State. Yeah, me too, Sam. Okay, exactly. yeah, was, is that here. so? That, that would was be 2017. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was that Flynn Nagel game. The... Yeah, yep, yeah. That's a long time. <laughs> been six years between like field rushes. Yeah, well, and like there, there were there were two field rushes this year, but like that that's fine. Again, like. The first win. Um, the Minnesota one had like 50 people, though, because everyone. Had- <laughs> yeah, hey, nobody, nobody was still there. Yeah. I just want to emphasize those 50 people earned it, though. I just want to. It's true. It's true. <laughs> those are 50 warriors who were there who will say that they were, were there for the beginning. But it's funny, like significance and context to just pile one more thing on it. When you pull out 2017, immediately my great my brain goes to this place. Of course, the 2020 season was so magical and it was so special and it was a Big Ten West title and, you know, another championship game appearance. But no Northwestern fans were able to go to any of the home games for any yeah. of that season. Yeah. The last time Northwestern fans were in Ryan Field watching a home game of any significance prior to this season was 2018. That was the last time. That yeah. any Northwestern fans sat in the stands and watched a game with any stakes of any kind, right? And then you think of how long of a time that is, right? Four full seasons before you get another moment like that. And as we talked about on Twitter today, what more do you want from a home season? Northwestern went five and one at home. Um, you well, saw let me let me looted, contrast yeah. that real quick with 2018 when Northwestern went three and three at home. Because that right. was the year with like the brutal Duke loss and then the Akron catastrophe. Mm-hmm. So right. like, th- like right. this, that was this home slate is the best. The best home slate that we've had in um, 2017 is looking pretty. Like 2017 was, was five and one. The Music City Bowl and the Outback yep. Bowl seasons. That's where you have to go back to. And yep. yeah. And then it's like you think and it's like, look what you saw. I mean, we were all so elated with the UTEP win. Little did we know that would be like the fourth best win at Ryan Field <laughs> like that year. <laughs> um, I mean, the minute the Minnesota game was an all timer, obviously. Um, and then the Maryland game was an incredible game. I mean, just a great a feel good game. And then this game. I mean, we'll get into it a little bit. I mean, I, you know, from the eye test itself, like not exactly a peach, but the significance of the game and the way the game ended and what we all got to do, right? And then as a nice bonus, we all got to see the Howard Band too. So, I mean, it's like what it was, uh, you had so much flipping fun at Ryan Field this year if you went to all the games. And it's like, 
it's just one more thing. It's one more thing that this community needed um, that this season delivered. And, and, and the one loss was a Penn State game in which the first half was, you know, it was in doubt, you know, deep into the third quarter before, you know, Franklin did what Franklin did. But like, it was a great home slate. And, you know, a way to send off the stadium with that kind of home slate is phenomenal. Yep. I mean, I guess one final thing before we um, before we get into the, the specifics of the game is one of the people that we talked to both before and after the game um, were the family of a player who has been injured for most of the season. And he's coming back, you know, getting back into health right now. But one of the things that we talked about with his family is like at the time that he got hurt, that was a different universe from where we are right now. Mm. It's like he's he's coming back into a universe where up is down, cats and dogs living together. It's like, <laughs> you know, it was he got hurt on a team that wasn't expected to to do anything. And he's coming back to a team that is in bowl contention, is, you know, got a really good chance of finishing second in the West and is uh, a young dynamic coach and just a world of possibility heading into the future. It's just fantastic. So let, let's get into the game. Um, you know, it, it really feels like the afterthought because like, like you said, the game itself was, you know, it was a rock fight. Um, can, can I um, indulge me if you will, please go, go for it. Yes. This was a rock fight with Purdue. I, I quipped after the game that this was um, the most extremely Ryan Field way to send off Ryan Field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and what I mean by that is like a nail-biting game where Northwestern had to, you know, basically close it out on defense. I mean, this has been the story of, of Northwestern in the last 15 years. But let me tell you about the last five Northwestern-Purdue games at Ryan Field. Um, if I told you that the 38 points scored on Saturday were the second highest point total in the last five games, you might be surprised. Um, it is also all five of those games, uh, the last again, the last five games between these two teams at Ryan Field going back to 2010 have been one score affairs. So 23-15 this past year, I'm counting that as a one score affair. Uh, 2019, Purdue beats Northwestern 24 to 22. I believe um, I forget which quarterback we were playing at that stage of the year, but um, we were all, that was a little bit of a gut punch. Cause I like, it felt like Northwestern could have could like, could have should have won that. But regardless, 24, 22, a similar rock fight. That's the highest scoring game in this series in the, since 2010 or since 2008. Um, 2017 uh, Northwestern wins 23, 13. All right. There goes my one score comment, but still, Low scoring, low scoring affair, tight game. 2015, uh, it was a 21-14 game, and then back all the way back in 2010, Purdue won 20 to 17. So this is this was a very par for the course Northwestern Purdue. Um, all these games, by the way, were in November, uh, late late November, double digit date on no, in, in November. Um, so I, like this was a, a, about as a perfect an homage to. Uh, Ryan Field and this um, and this series as you as you could have possibly gotten. I think too, like like you said, it's like 
ugly ugly history to this series and this one in a lot of ways was kind of like an ugly game and i think maybe like the one thing that this series was missing or the season was missing um was a game where northwestern kind of won despite right like like did not have our best stuff right did not have the fastball working in a lot of ways but still got what we needed to win right it's like that box checked i mean in some ways you could say minnesota qualifies in that way but that was just such a furious game and northwestern was absolutely lights out in the second half of that game in this game i mean one place to start purdue has rushed for like 650 yards in their last two games and they put up 350 (laughs) against minnesota and then put up 303 against us um and this was a team that Really, I mean, credit to them. They can really run. And I mean, Maccabee and Tracy who had a monster game in this game. They're just really good. And Tracy in particular is really fast. Um, Credit to the coaching staff, though, because they've figured out how to use mm -hmm. those guys extremely effectively. They don't have an amazing offensive line, but they use a ton of misdirection, Mm -hmm. um, like a a lot of different um, different attacking angles and – and the the fact that they're they're swapping these two guys in in and out with regularity, I, it was a very a very effective running attack. Can, mm-hmm. can I put a quick caveat on that? Sure. It was a great effective running uh, attack between the twenties. Right. Well, yeah. Once once the safeties are a little closer to the uh, <laughs> to the line of scrimmage, right? Well, that's yeah. and the, and that's the thing too, right? Is like you can look at the numbers and. And and you should. I mean, like Purdue earned those yards and they gashed us on a bunch of different plays. And at the same time, as as you're saying, Sam, like the in the key moments and key situations, guys just made amazing plays. I mean, so many. I mean, the the goal line stands in the first half. Obviously, those are team efforts where all the guys did amazing work to keep Purdue out. I mean, that situation. I mean, that was a situation where Purdue thought they had a touchdown and then they ruled him down at the one. And at the time we were looking at it being like, well, I mean, like, why are we spending so much time on this? Either he's in or it's at like the one inch line and they just marched down the field. And boy, did it matter because the defense absolutely shut them down right after that. But it's not only that, it's like it's like Garnett Hollis chasing down Tracy on that 62 yard run where the minute he went through the hole, we were like, that's a touchdown. He's in. And nope, Hollis chased him down, like ran and ran and ran and chased him down. And it mattered big time. That chase down bled three minutes and a Purdue timeout off of the clock. And at the end, like on the last drive, when Purdue, you know, had like something like 20 seconds to try to generate something right before the interception, that would have been like three minutes and 20 seconds. That's how big that chase down does. We're like on a play where we all as fans gave up. We were like, oh, he shoot, touchdown, he's gone. Hollis didn't give up. He went back and found it. And then, like, another play, like we highlighted on Twitter, Richie Haggerty created a turnover on, on one of the drives, um, made Meredith fumble on one of their read options because purely through technique and option discipline. This is a situation where, again, on the measure of the day, through all the scheme Purdue was running, they had a great day running the ball. But guys made huge plays. And Haggerty just read an option perfectly. His option discipline as a defensive end, we all know over like recent history, this has been something Northwestern's been snake bit on. He was like, this is an option 
into his sideways shuffle technique, read, 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 read. It's crazy. He's standing in front of Meredith, staring him in the eyes, being like, I'm reading this. What are you going to do? And Meredith's like, uh, and he just holds the ball too long. And then they get screwed up and he puts it on the deck and Haggerty's right there and he falls on it. Individual excellence by guys. Carmine Bastone, who we learned right this past week is now on scholarship along with PJ Spencer. Um, Amazing. Like could not be more earned. Another monster game. And this is a guy who was going to go to Cornell and like he got a sack in this game, blew him up and forced a fumble that we just didn't recover. Um, And then you look and of course, like Xander's play, Hollis's interception. Xander's interception to end the game, right? It's guys finding a way and finding, you know, in a situation where the overall defense, like having problems, guys stepping up and making huge individual plays and huge team plays to get it done. Just, I mean, it's, it's, it's how you pull out a season like this through effort like that. John, you mentioned that Garnett Hollis tracked down and it, what struck me on that play was I always especially with you guys, you get so good into the nitty gritty. I kind of go to 30,000 feet and it just, it's like things have flipped when Northwestern makes a stop or gets the team in the red zone. Like as a fan, all of a sudden for the first time in a long time, we have confidence, right. Of like, since the Hank era where it's like, okay, like good. This is going to like, let's dig in here where it was almost the opposite. And it has been with Mike Bajaki and even longer. You, you, I can remember one game at Camp Randall when Northwestern had like a punt return and then like another play, a big play. They get down to like the 12 and you, you get stopped. And when they don't go in, you're like, crap, we're not com- we're not getting at best. We're getting a field goal. That that sense of like if you don't get in, you're scoring. It's amazing how this defense in the red zone has built a brand. And and I think it's probably the number one takeaway for, for Braun this year was like these guys fight like they do not stop and there's such a sense of pride of keeping guys out. They they could care. I, I mean, how many teams have given 300 yards rushing and one in a game, you know? Um, so I, I just love that. It's become just like the basketball team is kind of last year created a brand. I feel like the football team is creating that like inside the red zone. You're not getting in type of brand. There's a sense of urgency that I felt like Northwestern play, has played with this year in all three phases, like even on offense, like, um, the, the game that stands out, I, oh, damn it. Um, I guess it's the, it's the Iowa game that stands out, right? Like a game where they couldn't get anything all game and they kept grinding and that second to last drive, they get oh so close and don't get there. And they come back on the next drive and get it done. Right. Like that, that, that we're not going to give up. We're not going to quit adjusting and, and tinkering and tweaking. And I, and I do feel like so much of that is just adopted or, or, you know, osmosis from, from Braun and the way he approaches it, that, that feels like a subtle, but meaningful difference from, cause it's not like this team was, you know, a give up. I'm not trying to say they were a team that gave up easily or didn't have the, the metal to grind in the past. They certainly did. Um, but I just felt like I saw it over and over and over this season. Yeah, I'm so I'm so glad you brought up that, and I'm glad you brought up. You mentioned three phases. I want to do something that we kind of rarely do in this situation, where we'll a lot of times we'll go like offense, defense, and then maybe special teams, or defense, offense, and then maybe special teams. I want to bring up special teams right now because because everything that you just said um, totally dovetails with some really cool stuff. So 
our friend coach Northwestern football recruiting, who we've had on the pod before gave us some really interesting stats this week relative to how good the special teams unit has actually been. So obviously we all know Jack Olson, the milkman has been unbelievable this year. Um, He was one for two in this game, but it's funny. I was talking with Henry Helms, um, who's true freshman who's been handling Northwestern's kickoffs on the field after the game. And because from where Sam and I were sitting, we were like, the wind is miserable in this game. And we were talking to him after that way. And he was basically like, yeah, Jack got set up to kick that first field goal based on the way the wind was blowing. And then the wind just shifted to the total opposite way right before he kicked the ball. Thank and you, he bas- Michigan. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, he basically like corrected for the wind and then the wind just totally reversed itself right before he kicked the ball. And like, I give him credit for making another one later in the game. But one of the things that coach was highlighting really specifically that goes to what Scuzz is talking about is I think we're all aware, like, for example, that punting Hunter Renner has had an up and down year punting the football. Um, But and and at the same time, like I was just I just mentioned Henry Helms, like we have a true freshman kicking off for us, like a true local true freshman um, kicking off. And I think a lot of people thought that maybe David um, Luke Gakers would be kicking off for us. Um, and I think it's actually been like Henry Helms and he's, he's doing a good job, but I mean, he's not putting them out of the back of the end zone. And again, Renner's kind of leg comes and goes kick to kick, et cetera. But when you look at the stats, what you see is despite both of those things, the other teams aren't returning. Like there aren't many kick returns or punt returns. Um, and in the case of Renner, like a lot of times he gets off those line drives and you think like, oh, man, that didn't go as far. And then it gets like a couple nice bounces or, it, you know, maybe it dies and you go, oh, or it gets a nice couple bounces and you go, oh, that was a little bit better than I thought. But either way, no one's returning that punt. And it makes a big difference in the macro because all of those yards, when you look at them all at the end of a season like this and you're like, holy cow, that's so many return yards that just don't exist. And when guys do return, we have this young gun coverage unit that we're all kind of a little bit aware of. But I mean, you're talking, it's like Braden Bruss, um, Jack Fitzgerald, Grayson Metz, Evan Smith, Braden Turner. These are all guys who like, I mean, Metz, we're all very familiar with. All of the other guys are future full-time starters at safety, running back, cornerback and safety. Those guys are going off this year. So it's like, these are all things that you don't necessarily think of. And then you look back and like, you get like the stats, the coach think you step back and you're like, yeah, no one is housing kickoff returns against us. No one is taking punts back against us. Right. Um, By and large, you realize, yeah, we're not giving up plays like that. And then you think about this game, right? Renner got one, he got, he coffin cornered one, did an awesome job, killed one at like inside the two yard line. And then he got, a great punt when the wind was at its worst and the Purdue guy couldn't field it. And that was a massive turnover in the game. And it's like, you stop and you realize, and you're like, yeah, it's effort stuff. It's even when you're not putting kickoffs out of the back of the end zone. And even when you're not, you know, putting five plus seconds of hang time on every on every punt, the guys are just getting it done. And it's like, it's effort. That's just effort and just finding a way. And that's what's special about the season. 
uh, talk about the offense a little bit. I mean, it it was kind of hit or miss, but I mean, if your name was Cam, you had a pretty decent day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, Cam, Cam Johnson, Cam Porter in both situations, parallel of both of those guys, guys who have been around this game for a long time and can trace their meaningful production a long time and have spent some time going through trials and tribulations. <clears throat> I think, was it Scuzz? You, you maybe brought up the, or the, the 2020 season, but like the Illinois game in the 2020 season, Cam Porter had 140 yards and two touchdowns against Illinois in 2020. And he had 95 yards and two touchdowns in this game. I mean, it's perfect. What more can you want, right? A guy who's been around that long and has battled injuries to come back and have this good of a game in a situation like this. I mean, it's just fantastic. He had an awesome game. I, you know, we, we talked last week about how it, it had been one of his best games on the year. And, and then, you know, he averaged what 5.6 a carry this time around um, pretty close to the 5.9. He averaged against Illinois back in, uh, uh, in, in 2020. Um, I'll note that, uh, the incredible Hull had uh, uh, 150 yards in the game as well. So I, Northwestern rushed for 411 on the day against Illinois back in 2020. For anybody who had forgotten that uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful performance, but um, yeah, I, like Cam Porter looked really good in this game. He's 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 been getting stronger throughout the season, especially at the point of attack and, and going into contact, et cetera. But that you know his ability to hit the hole and burst. Um, I think has been coming on throughout the season. We've talked about how he hasn't, he hasn't quite, you know, last year he did not look like his former self. We talked a lot about the year after the year, um, you know, for guys coming off of big, big time injuries, like he had with his knee, et cetera. And uh, this year he's gotten better and better as, as we've gone along. And in the second half, he just, he came alive and kind of took over um, when, when Northwestern really needed a score, got that 34 yard touchdown. And then Johnson, I mean, John, I'm going to let you talk about the move that Johnson made, but I'm going to point out that he had a, he had a great game and he, he lost like a 30 yard pass that, um, that Bryant dropped in just perfectly against cover two, like in between that space in between the safety and the corner. And Cam was right there. He just, he lost it in the sun. It was on the second drive. Um, he, I mean, he could have gone for 150 in this game had he had he hauled that in and maybe gotten one other one. So he had he had a he had a great game. Uh, obviously, got you know the second touchdown on um, an incredible individual play, and uh, you know it's it, like seeing him and Henning come along this year with Bryant has been uh, really enjoyable. They've they've really built something out the year, and it it shows you what all three of these guys, transfer portal guys that came in. I think I said at the beginning of the year, if this offense steps up this season it's be, it's going to be because those three guys bring another element we know cam porter can run we know this offensive line can run block it's going to be because these transfer guys come in and change the dynamic of of uh what this offense is capable of doing and how they can stretch defenses and that's exactly what we saw on saturday yeah so i mean the and obviously i mean a lot of people are thinking like they didn't stretch it for a lot of the game and it's like yeah it was again it was a couple things. I mean, I, I think there was some time where we were looking and wondering, like, you know, why, like, why isn't Brian getting the ball out faster and produce credit, as we said before, like, this is a team that could, um, they can get to the quarterback, like they had the two big 10 leaders in sacks, although one of them was out for this game. But I mean, like, they're, 
they that they can do that. And their, they absolutely their, their approach was really sound, right? I mean, they dropped a lot of players and forced Ben Bryant to go through his progressions and and all and eventually their rush got there without having to blitz. Yeah, and then and then against a lot of run plays, like 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 on the flip side, like they packed the box on a lot of yeah. running downs and stuff like that. And and the wind was a definitely a factor too. So yeah. it's all of those things. I would focus more on right, like yes, the offense had some rough stretches early on and then down the stretch really came alive. And that Johnson play was one of them. I was really, when I went back and watched the tape on that Johnson play, obviously because of the Michigan situation this year, (laughs) we have all become aware of the game within the game, which is again, Michigan straight up cheated. Like that's, that's like taking the tape and I'm not going to rehash it. We're all familiar with it. But the idea of, However you figure it out, because a lot of times you may just like have looked at the game tape of this team from proceeding and be like, they have this tell when they line up in this formation, right? Like if we see this look at this time, things might happen. This is all a long way of saying on Cam Johnson's big play, Purdue blitzed their corner and Northwestern 100% knew they were blitzing their corner. (laughs) Like it is, it's obvious. Um, Northwestern knew it was coming. And that's like, I mean, it's probably just because they saw a tell or a key or read the corner or read his body language or whatever. And credit to all the guys in the staff who figured this stuff out. This is that game within the game stuff. But they knew that corner was coming. And Brian hiked the ball. And I mean, it was, you could look at it as like a screen pass with no blocking. It's that's what it looked like. It was like Kim just knew the ball was coming to him. He's like, this quarter's going. I'm going right into that empty space and I'm going to throw it. And then the rest of it was 75% Cam Johnson being unbelievable, starting with that move that he put on. And Ooh. then and then 25% Thomas Gordon making an unbelievable block. Um, and not the kind of block that you normally see. He literally ran with Johnson all the way down the field, shielding a man off. Um it was an absolute individual brilliance by two guys uh, that, that blew the game open. Um, and in the case of Johnson, this is the parallel to Porter. Johnson has something like 850 receiving yards in his career and like a million receptions. There's like 170 something receptions. This is a guy redshirted uh, way back in 2018 at Vanderbilt and then caught a ton of balls over the next three years for three awful Vanderbilt teams. And then went to Arizona State for a year and played for another awful team that, as we can obviously all see now, stupidly didn't play him nearly enough. And now here he is, right? All that time later, he's bowling. So it's just awesome. It's awesome to see a, a guy like guy like that make a play like that and get rewarded like that. Hey, John and Eric, I'm just curious. You guys and Sam, you guys talked about um, nostalgia in the last time likely looking at Ryan field from the field level curious about your take. Uh, uh, <laughs> I feel pretty confident. It was also a certain offensive coordinators last game doing the same at Northwestern. It's gotta be. I mean, <clears throat> they're, I mean, it's, they, they Braun can't keep a Jake in he, for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, the inadequacy of, of like imagination, but also, you know, his ties to Fitz. Like, I, I think Braun needs to be real careful with how many uh, people he keeps from 
like kind of long term fits uh, regime. I mean, I think we, we we were on the record a year ago that we felt like Bajakian's time was up, and that and it's it's the it's the inconsistency from drive to drive, from game to game. It's the he really struggled to get the best out of his players, right? Like, I, like I think about what we saw for Brendan Sullivan against Maryland, all the things that worked against Maryland so well. And they didn't even try that stuff against Iowa. It's like, they just went into a conservative shell to start that game. Um, and the, the, the struggles with Hunter Johnson, the struggles to, um, early on to find things with, with Ben Bryant and the, the, you know, John has documented many times the, the situation like Bajakian will, will put his quarterback just like on a deep drop with a bunch of deep, slow developing routes and all in, in a, in a clear passing situation. And all it takes is an extra rusher or a free rusher to, to, to blow it up. And there's a reason that Northwestern's given up a ton of sacks during the, during the course of the Bajakian area. And I like, his his style of like like, like the game he had at, at the the offense he had at Boston College the year before he came to Northwestern, I think was an outlier more because of the excellent running back he had yeah. than because of his yeah. system. And I just he doesn't seem to have the dynamicism or the um, the ability to develop to develop players or his scheme that that college offenses just require. I just I think to you it, it it feels like philosophical. It's not a match with Braun, right? Yeah. And by that I mean, the one thing that that was so stark for me this year with Braun was in-game adaptation on defense. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. Okay, that's not working. We're going to change, like, complete philosophy, scheme, matchups, like in-game, and then after halftime, which. If you look back at the Fitz era, that was like the most telling sign. The third quarter, we would get just we would just we're gonna outmuscle and keep out executing what we're doing. And I feel like Bajakian is a holdover of that. We're coming in with a plan and we're not gonna deviate from the plan. Yeah. You could almost feel during the game Braun wanting to like, okay, what do I do here? Right? I'm 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 kind of feeling like oh, it's I'm a defensive coordinator. I'm trying to get but just there was just an out of touchness with what was going on in the game. And I think I point to one person who I think was the most underutilized guy this year, and it's Hyman. I, I was just yeah. going to go there. When you say underutilized person, I yeah. think you don't even have to finish. Right? <laughs> I, 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 I say this knowing full well. Like, I am old. I, I am, I am yeah. a, I'm a 40-year-old dude in my basement right now with kids. I'm, I'm old. Coaching college football, coaching football, it's a young man's game. Yep. You have got to be constantly – questioning and adapting and challenging your yourself and your own perspectives. And when you get baked and, and <sighs> complacent is, is a term that comes with some judgment. I don't mean it that way, but when you, when you get stuck in the way you want to go about things, it is deadly to your performance. And, and Jay, I was thinking Hyman already when you first started talking, because it's a, it's a guy that clearly brought a different, element and it took us until what like game game nine game 10 to even start really using him and and even in even now he's he's probably still underutilized i mean he yep. caught um 
he had three runs and uh, and one catch in this game, and I feel like he should be getting at least at least ten to fifteen touches. I so I mean I think you bring up a great point, Jay, relative to Braun. So first of all, <clears throat> over the past couple of weeks, we have not put a ton of oxygen into the Bajakian piece of this because to a degree, this seems kind of like a foregone conclusion at this point. Yeah. Like, I think we yeah, all, we know where this is going and that's the thing. So it's like, we haven't dwelled, dwelt on it too much, but I think when you bring up Braun, I think that's one of the really important things to me because I think about O'Neill, right. And I think we, as a fan base, you kind of get in the mindset of like, this guy's got to go because things are so bad, et cetera. Right. It's like, it's, it's negatively phrased, right? It's like, Things are bad. This guy's got to go where like Braun has provided. I mean, it's it's like it's more like I am ex- so excited about the possibilities that a new offensive coordinator brings to this group of talent. Like that's yeah, the way that absolutely. my brain is right now. I mean, like Hyman being a perfect example. I'm like, this team's got a ton of weapons. And like, I would love to see Discuss's point, like kind of an an ingenue come in and take a look at some of this stuff and be like, yeah, like how am I going to do X, Y, and Z? And like that furious adjustment that, that we're talking about. And again, it's like, that's not to say that we don't know that like Braun doesn't adjust, et cetera. It's just, it is what it is. Right. And I think now at this point, like, it's almost like I based, based on the FCS coach lottery Northwestern has hit this year with <laughs> David Braun and Kristen Smith. Um, I'm, I'm like, Let's uh, let's not to mention who like uh, was it? Who did we get from um, Youngstown? Was it uh, is that where Amram Bins came Bins, from? Right? Yeah. 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 So I mean, it's like FCS lottery we've hit this year. Like well, I'm almost like, is there like some young hotshot FCS offensive coordinator? Because I'm like a hundred percent in. Well, I want to go back to something we we after was it Minnesota? I think it was after Minnesota. We talked to um, Bradley Locker and David Gold um, from Inside NU, and I asked them you know, with, with some of the, like, cause we were, we were, we were talking about what's the most surprising thing we've seen this year. And they, they basically were like, you the wide receivers and the quarterback, like the offense has been a surprise. And my question was, is that because we're seeing Bajakian be able to do stuff he couldn't do before, or, or maybe he's operating a little bit more dynamically or explosively or whatever, or is it the players? And they were like, it's just the players. Like we're not really seeing anything different from Bajakian. And that is an indictment, in my opinion, of like Northwest, like full stop. Northwestern is not going to have the best talent on the field every week. And you need coaches that are going to approach the game like you described Braun, Jay, in, in that adaptation and that like, OK, what can I do? This isn't working. How can I adjust? Like we, we talk about, you know, a, a decade, a decade and a half ago that Northwestern was out coaching teams and getting getting guys like Austin Carr, um, you know, developing and then and then becoming incredible uh, playmakers on, on game day. That was it was so much about out coaching your opponent, out out preparing, out scheming, um, and that has really gone by the wayside, particularly on offense the last you know six or seven years. And um, it do, it does require a different. A, a change of mindset and a, and, a, and a change of thinking. And um, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, I, you know, I, I, we were, we were all excited to a certain degree 
in, in part just because it was change. But, um, you know, we looked back at Bajakian's tape. We looked at what he had done in the NFL. We were excited about what he might bring to the program. And it hasn't worked out. And sometimes that's what happens with coaches. This is why coaches change frequently at, at most yeah. schools. And Northwestern, you know, despite the upheaval of this last summer, has been incredibly static in, in the coaching ranks. And I'm excited to see to see what the, the future portends. Anything else to mention on this one uh, before we uh, start looking ahead to um, a game for a hat? I So one thing that I want to bring up, I mean, we talked about the defense briefly um, and I, you know, talked about Bastone, Haggerty. I'm just Bryce Gallagher, Rod Hurd and Xander Mueller had 22 sole solo tackles combined in this game. Those are three all Big Ten football players like I don't want to see those guys any lower than all Big Ten second team because this team has been a defensive revelation this season. Those three guys are right at the head of the line for a big part of that. And uh, obviously we know those three guys are three warriors who have been warriors and linchpins through the, the, the low points of this defense. And now those guys are all thrown 100 miles an hour at the high points of this defense. And like those are three awesome football players. And a couple, maybe all of those guys are going to play Sunday football, and uh, they've they've just done it all and deserve to be rewarded big time for it. Have you ever thought about building a Westlaw Pirates-like community for your business? If so, we've got your solution. Teamworks Media, a brand marketing and content company, is here to help you tell your brand story better. Better yet, you can work directly with the founder, Jay Sharman, known on this podcast as Like the Posts. The same expertise he's brought to brands like ESPN, the Big Ten Conference, and Northwestern University are now available to you in an affordable way, directly with this Wildcat Superfan. Contact Jay directly at 312-446-9435 or jay at teamworksmedia.com to learn how to elevate your brand's story. Uh, So with that, let's go ahead and uh, go to our new segment, Um, Let Us Lake the Posts presented by a Teamworks Media. Um, as we look ahead to Illinois, uh, Jay, you've uh, cooked up some some kind of historical stats, historical nuggets for us to uh, take into account as we look to regain the land of Lincoln Trophy. Yeah, guys, first of all, thanks. We're so excited about this partnership with Westlaw Pirates, and it's just been so fun to see what you guys have built and thought this made sense to kind of just it's all about building that wildcat narrative, right? And and kind of my day job, I get to do that. But um, real quick, a story before we jump in, because Lake the Post, my first Lake the Post game was 1991, my freshman year, in a downpour at then Dyke Stadium. And uh, Illinois is ranked. We, of course, were dreadful. Francis Pay was the coach. And we came out in all purple, the purple grape game, purple pants, purple tops. And it was just like a slip and slide game, that AstroTurf, which is horrific. And we upset Illinois, Lake the Post. I remember, you know, God rest his soul, my dad, he was in town for Parents Weekend. I turned to him, I said, Dad, I'll be right back. Like two hours later, I <laughs> resurrected. I go back to 1835 Hinman, and he's there. He's got his socks on the radiator. He's like, I knew you weren't coming back. I waited for the whole place left. And so that's my you were like, and You were like, Dad, you don't understand. I'm literally establishing a brand that will follow me for decades. 
so funny. He was like, I sat in the stadium until everyone left and was like, yep, he's not coming back. Don't know where he went, but <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, Northwestern modern day history, right, begins in 95. And I just went back and looked and it's funny, like I, I, I'm pretty sure you guys will agree for a quote unquote season ending rivalry, a trophy game. There's been 28 games. Most of them impossible to recall from the brain but uh so a couple stats to kind of tee things off so land of lincoln trophy cats are up nine to five um you might remember in 2009 was the first uh you know the sweet sioux tomahawk which i understand is actually still in evanston uh yeah I mean, after the cat the cats won the final game but i believe it we were going to bring it back anyway just because of the imagery yep yep so uh overall since 95 we're 18 and 10 in champagne we're eight and five uh when we enter with a winning record we're 11 and three um when the sixth win is on the line for illinois they're two and two here's the stat that kind of jumped off though to kind of underscore how the stakes for this game have not been shall we say high the number of times both teams have entered this game with a winning record since 95 is two Dude. Oh wow! Unbelievable! That's really uh, unbelievable! And the other part of this is, it's like I don't know. Like I measure my life. This is kind of sad a little bit in terms of like all-time series. I remember being in college in like the fraternity basement, and we're looking at like the Northwestern against the all-time series, and we we did not have one that we were leading. We have since like because we've gone twelve and four since ninety-five against Indiana. We're actually like that's you know the one that we're really you know, over the 500 mark, Illinois were so close. And I remember like two years ago when it was like, Oh my God, we can take the lead in the series. And we've, you know, Illinois leads 57, 54 to five. So in our lifetime, that is very possible to, uh, to take the lead on our in-state brethren. So there's some stats to get you started. I just can't believe I'm like the, the lack, like no teams, neither team having a winning record almost every single time or or not having, not both having a winning record. It's funny, like you, you posed the question at the beginning of the segment, but also like to us before being like, what's the most memorable game from this? And I was thinking, I'm like, uh, like Coco Asimo playing running back in, <laughs> in 2019, partly because like that season had no other highlights basically. And like, that's the one that stands out, but I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not many, but it, it's, it is interesting where it's like, right. Like I suppose in this case, like Illinois is kind of close, um, but you're right. Like this, this isn't, I mean, I, I suppose part of it's like why we always go to Iowa and why we always go to Wisconsin when we think of like the great rivalries is because, right, like there just aren't a lot of great ones in this rivalry. I mean, the, the one that, that always comes to mind, um, and I, I, I believe I've got it, I, I believe I've got it here. Yeah, it's the 2003 game for me um, at Illinois. And of course, in, in, in you know, Illinois was horrible that year. Um, yeah, they were, they were one in ten that year. Yes, they were pretty Going good the year before. The, the, the year, the two years prior, they were decent. I mean, obviously yep. in 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 two thousand one, they were they won the Big Ten. They went to the Rose Bowl. Boo. Yeah, that was the um, Kurt Kittner. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah quarterback. I think so. um, that was, of course, a year we all thought Northwestern was going to be competing for a repeat Big Ten championship, and um, 
uh, other things happen, but um, I'll never forget going because I, I went to that game in Champaign in 2001, which was extremely brutal. And then I went again in 2003. And that was the year that in the second half, Randy Walker decided uh, we will not throw the ball. We are just going to run. And they, they literally ran every play in the second half and um, just bowled over the Illini. The final was like 37 to, to 20. Um, Jason Wright had 250 yards rushing. Noah Heron had 163. Um, uh, yeah, Bazinet uh, attempted one pass after half, which was nullified by a penalty. Um, that is the game. So- sounds like Michigan two weeks ago. Yeah, that that is the game that that um, I, I always remember in the series, and it's um, it is wild though because any year that Illinois has been good has been a year that Northwestern has been been really bad, right? Like the one Zook year that they oh. were so good with Aurelius Ben and um, uh, I'm forgetting the running back's name now. Yeah, last year they were seven and four heading into this game, and crushed us yeah exactly like so the the stakes have i mean this is a rare situation where you know one team is has just gotten bowl eligible and the other is is uh on the doorstep and of course illinois lost a heartbreaker to to iowa last weekend so i guess in that vein like it's i don't know it's kind of an exciting um moment in this series for the first time in a long 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 time well, and to take this back way back to the, the miracle adjacent thing that we started with, right? And like how this is a special season. Well, in in terms of listing the ways that this special season is different from other special seasons, most of the other special seasons most Northwestern most Northwestern fans would list, Northwestern has at least nine wins in every one of those seasons. And those tend to be just flat out really strong football teams. I I can't think of a strong Northwestern football team that didn't smoke Illinois. Like that's pretty much like a calling card of those seasons. Like not a calling card anyone remembers, but you don't remember it because the games aren't memorable because good Northwestern teams put it on Illinois. Um, This one's an outlier because again, Northwestern's had an incredibly special miracle season, but Northwestern's only six and five here. And I don't think any of us are looking at this game. And I think again, like Illinois is, currently right like a four and a half point favorite in this one yeah four and a half yeah and that's again just fantastic continue to shovel the disrespect at northwestern because it's not like we haven't just been dominating spreads for weeks now um but the i mean it's reference to the fact that on paper like these two teams are pretty evenly matched and that's not something to jay's point earlier like that's not something you can say about all the other great northwestern seasons relative to Illinois, those games were usually mismatches and Northwestern usually just clean their clocks. This one will be different. Yeah, so I was, I was really rooting for Iowa. I mean, Illinois over Iowa <laughs> for this scenario. Cause you just like, you're sitting there being like, you do not want to be playing Illinois fighting for bowl eligibility, right? After the season that they've had, they're going to be, you know, I, this is a bowl game. I just, I, I want to say like looking at, at Illinois specifically, Luke Altmeyer classic Illinois super mediocre quarterback, which I guess means he'll be throwing for 300 yards for the giants <laughs> next year. I, I, seems, uh, I guess mediocre veto reference. Yeah. Mediocre <laughs> Illinois quarterbacks. I just go to go to the NFL and show out now. Apparently that's how it goes. We're, uh, but I don't know. We, we talked about Altmeyer earlier in the season um, relative to Brendan Sullivan. 
because they are both, I would say, relatively, relatively small. Like, I mean, they're not small, but, you know, like these are not huge guys um, and they are mobile guys. I would say the big difference between the two is, as we all know, um, with Sullivan and sometimes like this gets held against him, right? Like he wants the first read. And if the not, if the first read's not there, a lot of times he wants to tuck and run. And if there's pressure, then he's going to try to run out of it and find something, or he's just going to try to run period in those same situations. Every single time Altmeyer will be like, either I can force that ball into my first read, or I think my second reads over there somewhere I'm throwing it. Or he'll run and then he'll like throw it back over the middle of the field. Luke Altmeyer makes bad decisions. And a lot of times, like for all this stuff where you're like, boy, I wish Brendan Sullivan would like get the ball out or something like that. Not like this, you don't, because this guy wants to turn the ball over. And he has, he's a major irrational confidence guy who just believes that he can get it done. And it's like, again, like he's capable of having big games, but he's also capable of making backbreaking decisions that hurt Illinois. But what if it's Paddock? Yeah, that's true. Is it like where, what is that situation right now? Like relative to the injuries? Like, I don't even know. Um, I mean, I would say it's Paddock until further notice. I that's mean, I a, that's yeah, I mean, what I would Pat, say too. I don't know. Pat, how. Paddock lit I mean, I think Paddock finished the game against Iowa. Yeah. He, just, he played the whole game. Okay. I don't uh, okay. understand, yeah, so I, I don't understand how you bring Altmaier back. 215. Yeah, that I that I was I withdraw it then. I wish I wish I could say we were gonna get those free turnovers. I, I will tell but, you yeah. though, it was like I watched the Illinois Iowa game. I can't remember. They must have they kept showing the stats. Isaiah Williams, number one, the wide receiver for Illinois, who's just on the verge of a thousand yards. I mean they targeted him. It was some ridiculous high teen number. That was more than the rest of the team combined. It was literally, and and that's the one thing I, I think, if you look at our matchup, it, it was wherever Isaiah Williams is, <laughs> double team, cheat on the field. Like it, I like our secondary knowing that literally Paddock was just not even looking guys off. He was like, I'm going to throw in a double coverage, and Williams was coming down. It was amazing. Williams was incredible in the game, but I can't remember a quarterback keying in on one receiver more in a game um, than that. It was, it was kind of silly. Well, Paddock's not a scrambling guy. He's not going to run around. Um, he's 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 not going to run for yardage. Period. And he's not. He, but he's not going to extend the play. It's a sort of. It's a sort of. Like that's the thing about Altmaier that is probably the worst match. The worst. The worst matchup for Northwestern is just his ability to extend plays. That's not mm-hmm. Paddock's game. Um, but something that you just said, Jay, about Isaiah Williams dovetails with the conversation we had earlier about the coaching staff and the way Braun approaches things like Northwestern's coaches this year will, will look at that Isaiah Williams situation. They will look at the tape of John Paddock and how he targets him and they will account for that and plan for that. And in, in all the years of Hankowitz, and this is not, this is not shade against Hankowitz. It's just a different approach, right? Like, there's one game I could think of where we came out with a different approach to attack a wide receiver. And it was when we were, when we were playing Western Michigan at the beginning of, was that 2018? 
I can't, I, I can't remember the year, but um, the PJ Fleck game. Yes, the PJ yeah, Fleck game. And, oh, and what was the receiver? He Corey, Davis. Corey Davis. Corey Davis yeah, was the receiver. He was there all everything. He was incredible. And unlike every other time we had ever seen Northwestern lineup, Matt Harris followed Corey Davis all over that field and held him in check. And I like, I don't know that we're going to, you know, put somebody specifically on Isaiah Williams to follow him all around. But the idea that we're going to double team and we're going to focus on, we're going to try to take away that weapon is exactly what I would expect to see Northwestern do. And I have so much more confidence in this staff to be able to execute that um, this year based on what we've seen to date. And that's really exciting. 2016 opener for the record. Western Michigan. 2016. Thank you. Yes. Wow. Well, Scuzz and and Scuzz, to your point, it dovetails with something else that I was thinking about. So, Paddock's basically entire season is rests on one game, basically where he threw for 500 yards in an overtime game against Indiana. Um, and of course, he had the big play at the end of Minnesota, but he threw three passes in that game. And again, that 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 was such a ludicrous defensive breakdown by Minnesota safeties. We've talked about that before. But well, we, to your what, point, what did what did Purdue score? Minnesota forty nine before right. last. I mean, granted, yep. they didn't have Hudson Card, but still, right. And to your point about like the Matt Harris game, right? I mean, it's like Northwestern doesn't have to do that. Garnett yeah. Hollis, I'm sure we would all say, is our number one guy. Theron Johnson's been awesome too. And so has Oreya Dye. Like the corners have been awesome. That's why Northwestern has the number six pass defense in the conference this year. Indiana has the 13th best pass defense in the conference. That's why he threw for so many yards in that game. Now, obviously Purdue was playing two backup quarterbacks in this game, um, but it couldn't have been more painfully obvious that Purdue was dead in the water at any time. Like their quarterback, fum- their quarterbacks fumbled twice through two picks and Northwestern got to them. What? Like three times. Um, they're like Northwestern's pass defense is good. And again, Iowa's pass defenses is, is also extremely good, but as it actually stands, Iowa's got the number five pass defense in the con- in the conference and Northwestern has the number six pass defense in the conference. So like, don't be looking at those numbers and being like Paddock's looking at that kind of day. No, he's not because Northwestern secondary is way better than Indiana's secondary. Um, and like, that's again, this defense has been great all year and they will be good in this game. Yeah. I mean, they're going to throw, I mean, Paddock threw, I, I haven't checked this, but it's got to be the most against Iowa this year. 47, 47 attempts. 47 attempts. He didn't complete 47. 47. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 22 of 47, right, for 215 with an average of 4.6. So um, he was chucking. And, you know, Isaiah Williams had eight receptions for 105 yards and was targeted, I would, easily 20 times in that game. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, Isaiah Williams, this is a name we're all very familiar with. I mean, Scuzz was on him way early because he came in as a quarterback and was very much like, is he going to be Illinois' quarterback of the future? How are they going to get him the ball? And now he's, you know, he's always been a great athlete, but he settled into that wide receiver role. And uh, yeah, now he's their number one target. But you're right. I mean, it does make it a lot easier to lock in on on what they're going to try to do. The other interesting thing for Illinois is Reggie Love is back. So yep. he missed a lot of the season. He came back against against uh, Indiana. Um, he's basically out for a whole month um, from Nebraska. He, he barely played against Nebraska. But um, 
you know, in, in that time, Illinois looked very different and they, and they, they have continued to look very different. Um, even with him back, like their, their defense is not what it was last year. This is the, this is a different complexion of an Illinois team than we saw the last, you know, one, even two seasons. Uh, but he ran for 140 yards against IU and, and coming off of, of what we saw from Purdue. Now love is more of a, a straight ahead power runner than some of the misdirection. Certainly the, 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 certainly what Maccabee brings to the table, but um, that's if Illinois has success against Northwestern, it's because they can establish the run with love and then riff off of that with play action and use Paddock and, 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 um, Isaiah to uh, to attack Northwestern secondary, but I, I get, I'm with you, John. I this our our defense is well is well positioned to contain this Illinois attack, and Illinois like it'll be run and play action, which hasn't been hasn't been like a death knell for Northwestern. The the problem for Northwestern has been when quarterbacks can extend plays and you know attack with their legs and. Um, cause guys to come off in coverage. You think about Nebraska in particular, uh, in that way. And, um, this, this Illinois team is, is not that. The other thing they're not too, is like, they miss Ryan Walters. Um, they miss that NFL secondary, uh, but they miss Ryan Walters too. And this was a defense that I think coming into the season, everyone's like, they're going to take a huge drop off in pass defense, which they did. But they've also taken a big drop off in run defense, too. Like, this is a defense that, I mean, they continue to have that stout frame up front, but they're not a particularly strong defense at anything. Like, they're pretty much 12th in most categories. Um, They're right down where Purdue is. Like, it's a pretty bad defense. And, again, like, last game, especially factoring in the weather and the little ways Northwestern was snake bit on offense for big stretches of this game. Like we didn't match some of the numbers that I thought we, that I think we thought we were going to get against that Purdue defense. So certainly not putting the cart before the horse, but this Illinois defense is it's light years away from where it was last year. And this is a defense we for sure can move the ball against. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson law group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. Shall we take a quick spin around the conference just to uh, catch up and see where we're at um, going into uh, the final week of the regular season? Um, last week, Ohio State all over Minnesota, 37-3. I really don't have anything to say about that. It all comes down to this weekend's game. Um, Michigan-Maryland, 31-24. Michigan, uh, I mean, was that just all Talia? No, really. Talia threw two picks. Uh, McCarthy didn't look great. Um, like I like this. Michigan looked like they were coming off of Penn State and had Ohio State on the mind. And we talked about like, was it going to be so, a letdown for them? Ahead. Yeah. Yep. And and they they did not look crisp. And whether that is because they aren't cheating anymore, or they have coaching <laughs> situations. <laughs> I was, was going to. you like, were like. Chris 
looks like the low-hanging fruit I'm going to grab when I make the cheating reference. <laughs> right I mean, like, so it can be, it, 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 you know. I mean, what did I, you I don't guys, know. I don't know what, what it was. Do what did you what did you three do to the Big Ten office? By the way, because we get just fun fact: we get uh, Michigan in the ultimate trap game next year before the game. We're at we're at Michigan. We got Ohio State and Michigan back to back in November next year. Oh God, that's right. I totally yeah. hadn't looked at that from Michigan's perspective, and you're absolutely right. <laughs> so trap, we're in trappy trap trap trappy Let's trap. Let's go. Love it. That's right. That's right. We could and hey, look, think about and we beat Maryland. So you do the math. We would have had just no. enough to get there. That's right. Uh Penn State beats Rutgers twenty-seven to six. Uh did anyone see how bad Drew Aller got hurt? I know he left the game, but I did not know. Um they are the I mean the interesting thing, I mean, again, Rutgers if if Maryland beats Rutgers, Rutgers will have they will have gotten bowl eligible and then promptly taken an absolute nosedive. Uh, I think they'll have lost their last four. Um, and granted, some of those are against heavy hitters, but I, I, as with so many things, I factor this into any competition against David Braun for big 10 coach of the year. And Greg Schiano's name has firmly been taken out of consideration. Yep. So, uh, John, we were talking about this on the field uh, after the game, but God, how much would you like to see that Rutgers game replayed right now? Tell me about it. I would Absolutely. love to see. I mean, the, just the, just the improvement on our defense throughout the course of the season would be would would dramatically change that game. Um, we mentioned the Iowa Illinois game. Um, can we, can we like just briefly? Um, yeah. So Iowa wins this game on a. 30 yard run with like four minutes to go. But um, Illinois led the entire way up to that point. Well, sorry, that's not true. Uh, Iowa started the scoring with a safety and then Illinois kicked a field goal later in the first quarter. Shoot. Yeah. Sorry, Bar- Bar- Big West. I'm, I'm sorry. Iowa's scoring is just so funny to me. It was, it was projected to be the most funny, like, an over potentially overrated thing coming into this year. And it has like exceeded all expectations. It's incredible. So it was three, two. <laughs> and then, um, Iowa got a touchdown. Illinois responded immediately to go up 10, nine, got another field goal. Like it, it really felt like they might be able to run out the clock on this and, and, and beat Iowa. And, uh, Iowa got it done at the death. Just like they've, they've done so many times this year. Uh, Michigan State beats Indiana. Um, that pretty much uh, is it for Tom Allen, right? I would say so. I think it's so. it's it's about time. And again, like we really, I really thought Indiana was going to take this one. I thought Michigan State was in the in the basement, but nope, bottom's falling out for the Hoosiers. Your guys that shut down full cast were were talking big time about Tom Allen. They were they were hilarious, but I think he has. One of these huge buyouts. He does. It's huge. It's but I don't huge. know. But I don't know what they do otherwise. Like they're just totally mired in the basement right now, and I don't know. But he, it's they're like not a getting twenty million dollar buyout. It's they not. Pumped a, him, yeah. they, they pumped him so so much like a couple of years back. Like what after twenty nineteen Penix after the Penix season. Yeah. After so. the COVID season, right when they like were right there with Ohio State for the East. Yeah. yeah, they're they're yeah. relevant. They're on our schedule next year. Keep Tom Allen. Hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, on on the other side, we we have not talked about this hardly at all because we didn't play Michigan State, and then um, things were just so bad for them. But um, Harlan Barnett, uh, Barnett, their their interim coach, uh, has done a really good job. Um, this is what his second Big Ten win in uh, in what four or five weeks, and um, yep. yeah, getting Indiana, getting Nebraska. I can't exactly remember when he took over. Maybe it was was it after Michigan, maybe, um, maybe, or maybe it was even earlier in the year, but still like, it was like earlier he, than that. Yeah. He, he's gotten more wins out of this team than I thought possible. Um, and I, you know, I, I haven't followed anything to do with Michigan state, but I just like kind of a little bit of hats off to Harlan Barnett. Like, yeah. I mean, if they, don't, I mean, again, don't you get the sense that they're going to be like trying to get a, a home run of a higher though? Well, oh yeah. Sure. They're They're, they're, sure. they're totally going to go. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and then Wisconsin beats Nebraska 24-17 in overtime. Um, yeah. Anything to say about that one? If Well, that mattered because if we beat Illinois, nothing like we were second in the West. Nothing else that can happen affects that. If we, because Nebraska lost, regardless, the only other team, if we beat the only other team that can be even with us in conference is Wisconsin, and we all know how that game went, so... Um, we have a clear path to second in the West if if uh, we win. So so uh, pop quiz for you guys. Um, who had the best stats on the day? Chuba Purdy, Tanner Mordecai, or Braylon Allen? Uh, oh God. It's not Mordecai. I'm going it's, Purdy. Purdy. I'm going Purdy also. It's I'll Ch- go Braylon Allen. It's it's Chubba, per- Chubba Purdy by a mile, and it's because he had 14 carries for 105 yards. Wow. Um, Allen had 62 on 22 carries, but he did have two TDs. Um, per- per- uh, Purdy was decent uh, throwing the ball, 15 of 24. He did throw a pick, but averaged um, seven yards a- an attempt, much better than Mordecai's 5.7. Um I don't really know how Wisconsin won this game, but Braylon Allen being back at least like and contributing a little bit probably helps. So going on to this weekend's game, I mean, we got the Thanksgiving uh, weekend, um, you know, chock full of football because I still think very fondly of that uh, four day weekend in Colorado where we did nothing but just eat and watch football. Because the, that's the greatest, the greatest Thanksgiving in my life. Oh, so good. <laughs> So, Black Friday, uh, Iowa at Nebraska. Nebraska, a two-point home favorite. The over-under, drumroll please, 26 and a half. A, oh, new, a new record. Not not where I want it to be. I desperately want this to be below the Brian Ferentz scoring line of 25 points. We're probably not going to get there, but like um, Har- Harburg didn't play for Nebraska last week, as we just talked about with Purdy. Um I guess Purdy played well enough that they're probably not going to drop this down, but all like it's 32 degrees. If we could just get like a little, little sprinkling of snow in the forecast. Um, <laughs> like I, Iowa's big 10 games this year, not a single one has gone over the total. And I didn't go back and check every game last year for Iowa, but I'm pretty certain not a single big 10 game last year went over the total either. Um, like this game, like, 
please, 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 betters, bet the under. I, I desperately want this to get down to 25 points. It'd be just the funniest end of the season. This is a huge game for Nebraska. Um, they've obviously they've lost three in a row, but they're this is for bowl eligibility for them against a ranked Iowa team. And I mean, to, they've had their ups and downs, but I mean, when's the last time Nebraska bowled? I mean, like Nebraska's been just an absolute mess lately. So this is a big game for them. And again, like Matt Rule, the Matt Rule experience track record, right? Like they're outpacing a normal first year for Matt Rule. And if they pull a bowl out of this, like, and it's by beating Iowa, Nebraska fans are going to be on a major high coming out of this one. Um, it's that been being a, said, it's, go it's, Iowa. It's oh, been a preposterous seven years. 2016 is the last time Nebraska went to a bowl game. That's insane. Wow. And it, uh, uh, where they lost hey, to Scott, Joshua Dobbs in Tennessee. <laughs> Because you know what's amazing in this year, the Big Ten, there's only four teams above the Ferenc line. In the whole in the whole conference? Yeah, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, and oh. Maryland is at 28.5. And after that, Purdue is the next highest scoring Big Ten team at 22.9. I so like wow. I, I saw that stat quoted, I think, a couple of weeks ago. And my reaction to that was like, let's not pretend like that the Brian Ferentz line happened in a vacuum. Like they just threw that number out just exactly. for shits and giggles. It's because he's been God awful for as long as anyone can remember. That's how we got to this place. It's like, sorry, too little, too late, buddy. Yeah, yeah it, was a, Mike, it was a it was a pretty high number. <laughs> I think the Mike Bajakin line's 20. We're at 20.7 points per game tied oh. with Minnesota for 11th in the conference. Yikes. Yikes. I, I do still like until they lost to Minnesota, um, I was confident they were going to keep him regardless just because like, how can you argue with a 10 or even potentially 11 win season? Um, and then when they lost to Minnesota, I was like, Oh, that, there it is. There it is. The game <laughs> <laughs> that like you lose for, you lose to PJ Fleck for the, for the very first time. And, uh, that's going to do it. So um, so we also on Friday have Penn State, Michigan State at Ford Field. I like, I mean, Penn I State's suppose 20, Penn State's a 21 point favorite over under is 42 and a half. I was going to say like, that's if, if Aller was, well, I don't know, like I'm talking like Aller would be a big difference. I mean, that's the whole thing is like the running game carried him through all of their easy games. And that's exactly what it's going to do in this game. So I'm sure like this is like a, a singleton goes bananas kind of game. On Saturday, um, the big one. I mean, game day is going to be there. Big noon Saturday is going to be there. Um, Indiana, Purdue. No, I'm kidding. It's Ohio State, <laughs> Michigan. When you said the big one, I actually I thought you were going to talk about Northwestern Illinois because <laughs> it's top top of the list of my uh, my ESPN feed just because they're my, one you know tagged as my favorite. Exactly. But, um, exactly. Yeah, the the big. So it's it's funny. Like I I, I have talked to a number of. Michigan alum and a, and a number of Ohio state alums about this game. No, nobody feels good about this. Um, my friend, Steve in Chicago, who is just die hard, uh, Ohio state. I think he described Kyle McCord as a third tier QB 
who it, the only reason they've had success is because of their A plus 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 wide receivers. There's a lot of people that believe that. I, um, I can that, that, that's how that's how John's been describing him all season. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, at the same time, the Ohio State defense is better than it's been the last few seasons, and then you've got you know this Michigan just you know freight train that um, has destroyed Ohio State two years in a row. That that is now sans Harbaugh potentially mired in scandal. And also would anybody be surprised if they steamrolled Ohio state again? Um, but I don't think, I don't think anybody on either side, at least from a fan perspective, feels good about this, this situation. Yeah. I will say like Ohio state in the rankings, uh, in the CF in the playoff rankings dropped from one to two this week and they've been one forever. And I just thought that was hysterical a, because none of us believe that they're one of the probably top <laughs> three best teams no. in the country, but B because they've been number one forever. And there's a really, really good chance they don't make the playoff at all. And that depends on what happens in this game, but we'll see. Uh, Michigan is a three and a half point home favorite over under is 46 and a half uh, for those who are, Paying attention to that sort of thing, uh, we've got at two thirty. Can, can I just throw out one one yes, other please. quick little thing? Um, Ohio State has not done a great job shutting down opposing running teams. I mean, they they have shut down opposing running games by way of like scoring enough points and forcing other teams to throw. But you know, Nicholas Singleton, um, Braylon Allen. Um, Notre Dame's running back, uh, uh, Estime, like all these guys averaged about five yards per carry against Ohio State. And um, if there's something that's going to tip the scales, I think it's going to be Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Yep, Blake Corum, baby. The Blake Corum train. Uh, also at 11 o'clock, for those of you who don't want to watch that game for whatever, I mean, that game's going to get like 10 million viewers right i mean it's gonna be insanely huge ratings i'm gonna be watching indiana purdue there you go yeah <laughs> big, big 10 network um for those who don't want to watch that uh purdue is a three-point home favorite over under is 50 and a half yeah i don't know that means something to the people in that state i'd say that's about it it's the old oaken bucket wonderful and that is the only that's the only thing that uh they have to play for neither going bowling Tom Tom Allen may be coaching for his job or not we'll see I, re- um, I, I realize I'm jumping ahead here it is stunning to me that Purdue is favored by less at home over Indiana than Illinois is favored at home over us yeah that's stunning to me Purdue should be like a five or six point favorite in this game Illinois uh, we, four and a half five yeah, and, four and a half, half. Is it five and a half? Five and a half. Yeah, five and a half. So you know what my fun thing is? Because, you know, at Northwestern, we always get made fun of for our uh, our home crowd, which um, that will be changing with the new stadium. I can't wait for that to see full house. Is yeah. When you look at the tickets as low as on the schedule, you know how they have like it's, – it's like the poor man's – you can tell what the attendance is going to be. You know what the lowest one on the entire board is on Saturday? The I entire $2. day, Illinois. Tickets as low as $2. $2. Jay, I, I want my $2. Jay, I have a photo saved in my Amazon photos, and it is a photo of the Illinois student section 
failing at doing a, you know, one of those card, those card tricks where they hand out cards to everybody and have yeah. them create like a picture and they're missing a giant corner of like the Illinois logo that they're doing with the card trick. Cause they literally don't have enough people in the student section at a game. And this was, this was uh, <laughs> an image lifted from, from broadcast television. Um, and it's my, one of my favorite things. That's amazing. It's amazing. incredible. Um, we've also got Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, the two point, uh, favorite on the road. Um, Minnesota playing for bowl eligibility here. Man, um, Minnesota just seems like a totally broken team. Again, like a, like Wisconsin is a two point. I know Wisconsin has been awful, but this is it's. This yeah, is Minnesota, one of those games. Like it feels like nobody knows what's going to happen in this game. They're just like ah, you know, shrug emoji. A couple weeks ago, Minnesota was the number one team in the conference, and now they might not bowl. So yeah. I mean, again, that's part of that's just a convert. It's a commentary on the Big Ten West. But yeah, like, I mean, I think I would probably say I'd probably give it to Wisconsin. That's my instinct. Same. And uh, finally, in the Big Ten, Maryland at Rutgers. Maryland is a one point road favorite. This one has a Northwestern angle that we talked about last week, which is if Maryland wins and Northwestern wins, Northwestern will not only be second in the West, but fifth in the whole Big Ten. So for all the conversation about like, you know, the garbage Big Ten West, et cetera, aside from the big three, ain't no one in the East better than us either. Um, but and, you know, Rutgers would have that claim if they won this game, but we'll see how that game goes. Um, looking nationally, I mean, like we said, there's, there's games on Tuesday. There's the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving night, uh, for those of you who don't want to watch the NFL for reasons. Um, but yeah, Ole Miss at Mississippi State is on Thursday night. Um, you've got on Friday, TCU Oklahoma, if that's your sort of, uh, that wets your whistle. Um, I, I think the big one is later that evening, uh, Oregon State, Oregon, uh, for the last time, unless they come up with the some, same sort of agreement that Washington and Wazoo did to keep the Apple Cup going. Did they um, call that the Civil War? I don't think so. There, I uh, I would say I our friend of the pod, Chris Giannini, I'm looking at Texas A&M LSU, where LSU is going to play for, uh, they're going to play a Jimbo Fisher-less Texas A&M team and attempt to throw and run for 800 yards in this game <laughs> as they try to get Jaden Daniels a Heisman Trophy, um, which is 100% a stats-driven Heisman campaign, and he's going to try to double down on that in this game. Is it near? or does um, Bama-Auburn just have no cachet this year? No. Although, like, as speaking of the aforementioned Chris Giannini, Chris, massive LSU fan that he is, doesn't want to hear it. But <laughs> Alabama's got a pretty interesting path ahead of them here. Like, the playoff is they'd have to go through Georgia to get in, but it's 100% in their hands, and it starts with beating Auburn, which they probably will do handily. Florida, Florida State is uh, very, very unfortunately the ba battle of two backup quarterbacks. Yeah, Jordan Travis. It's um, kind of heartbreaking. And, and Graham Mertz broke his collarbone too. Yeah. Against Mizzou. I, I feel for him. Less heartbreaking, but I feel for yeah, him. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, uh, Oregon, Oregon State, no longer called the Civil War. They discontinued that in 2020. Um, yeah. Does not seem to have a moniker now. Um, there, but, there was always the, the top, like it should be a platypus, right? Well, yeah, they did. They play for the platypus trophy, but um, probably the most, the most, the most impressive thing to note about this is a series that has been played continuously since 1945. That's damn impressive. And now might come to an end. Yeah. Um, we got a couple last uh, bits of uh, bits of news and notes before we uh, wrap this up. Malik Washington. Blitnikoff semifinalist. Woo! It's just awesome to see Malik having such a great year. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think Virginia has a great record, but um, he's been phenomenal for them, and uh, it's just, it's just great to see him get featured in an offense that is um, really taking advantage of his skill set. And uh, yeah, I would have loved to see him at purple uh, in purple this year. I think you know he would have been. In the you know it's certainly in the mix with our wide receiver core and would have benefited from a guy like Ben Bryant, but um, regardless, really just happy for for the season that he's had and what he's been able to put together. Um, field hockey, oh my goodness! Uh, losing the national championship in double overtime in the shootout to North Carolina, oh, what a heartbreaker! But regulation. Just, I mean, two overtimes, a full shootout, and then sudden death, sudden death. in the shootout is Insane. where they lost. Yep. Same. You you can't get any closer. And, and to North Carolina. year old yeah. head coach winning a national championship in North Carolina. Wow. Yeah. I know. It's it's an amazing thing. And obviously like Carolina has, you know, has the cat's number. Um and I know, I mean it just it stinks for just for the team and just to get that close. And I mean, really, honestly, you had two teams that absolutely dominated this season. And obviously there was, you know, not even a hair's width difference between the two of them and someone had to win and it wasn't the cats and that sucks, but it's still unbelievable team. Uh, basketball, men's basketball um, played. What, what was the, what was the tournament they were in? So it was a Naismith uh, Basketball Hall of Fame tip off. It was a tip off oh, class. Okay. Played at a casino. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Mohegan Sun. Yeah. Gotta love that, right? Um, yeah, Cats played in the championship game. Um, you know, ran up against a Mississippi State team that, I guess, in the second half, they really kind of uh, turned it up. I think they're undefeated, too. I mean, it looks like it's like a pretty good Mississippi State team. Yeah. Um, obviously you, you want to get that win, but, and again, I think like the team, there's still like, I believe, I think Langborg was the leading scorer in that game. So I think we're still kind of looking to find the consistent hot hands, you know, that to, to, to find the consistent score. And we know obviously where those points can come from. Um, obviously, you know, that boo, obviously and Barnheiser too, and, and Barry can get hot too. It's just like, it's it's going to come like I mean, like the, the points are going to come, but this is still we forget. I mean, that this team, the expectations for this team being as high as they are like this team still has, you know, they're bringing in new faces and they're still going to be putting things together a little bit and locking things into place. Like it's not always going to be perfect. But Barry was actually top scorer in that uh, okay. Mississippi State game with 14 Barnheiser and Langborg with 13. Um, 
Boo Langborg and Barnheiser had kind of an off night shooting, certainly yeah. from three. Um, I, what stands out to me is, is, uh, Matt Nicholson with zero points. I, I just felt like, yeah. I feel like we've seen very little from him this year and he was such a critical component of the offense. I, th- I think, I think of all the, um, the alley-oops, uh, from, from Boo and the ways that, um, that he showed up in the big 10 last year that, that really spurred, uh, spurred this team in key moments. And it's been, whether it's 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 the the finding their way like you were talking about John and just the, the chemistry with the new mix of guys on the, on the court um or if they just if they need to get a little bit more intentional about incorporating him in the offense I'm not I'm not sure what is going on but I mean he only had one field goal attempt and that just feels really weird for um for what we've seen from him in the past so totally and that's the thing too yeah Big like man, we know big men of the concern, right? I mean, that's the that's the one thing that hasn't gelled this year is just kind of the big man rotation. You're just kind of scratching your head, wait for it to come together. Yep. Is is hunger just not getting the minutes? Is he just not ready yet? He played eight minutes. He was two of two of three from the field. He's think, been he's had a nagging injury, you know, still this year, I understand. And so that's been limiting his minutes, but he looked pretty good actually on uh on Sunday. I think too, like this team is it's a they're making a concerted effort, and I think there was the understanding going in the game um that they were gonna play a ton of small ball and not small ball out of necessity, but just small ball puts the best group of guys on the court, right? I mean, we know that that core group of Boo, Langboard, Barnheiser, and Barry, you just want those guys out there as much as possible. Um, and that's gonna mean a lot of small ball and even with a huge guy like Nicholson being part of that, you know, I, I suppose that that's still like, you have to figure out the chemistry of all that and figure out the, the best way to make that work. And again, it's going to take time. Like, I mean, I think they'll, they'll find ways to effectively integrate Nicholson, but every team's got to kind of find their special sauce. I mean, like we mentioned this a couple of pods ago, like there are plenty of teams, Michigan state being the biggest men's example that are finding their way to start the season right now. Um, <laughs> And uh, the cats will they'll 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 figure it out. Well, if I might say one more thing about it, I feel like Barnheiser's kind of maybe playing a little bit of the Baron role this year. Uh, obviously, Baron was was a true front court player, and and Barnheiser is um, more of a three. But um, I like I I feel like the Tyler Verhoeven role is is really absent right now. So that you know he he and Nicholson split a lot of minutes last year. Um, he was a you know, graduate transfer, um, with a lot of experience, uh, et cetera. And they just, they don't have that guy on the roster this year. So they're, they're going to have to f- figure out the answer, whether that's Luke Hunger coming along or, um, figuring out how to, how to more intentionally incorporate, you know, Nicholson, like I said earlier. Um, but that feels like a, like a big adage and, and yeah, Jay, I think, I think generally they got to figure out how to get the big guys involved, especially before big 10 season starts. Big Ten season, which is starting really, really soon, a lot sooner than uh, you might think. Um, Cats have Northern Illinois on the 27th, and then Purdue coming to town. It's not really Big Ten season, though, right? It's just like one Big Ten game, and then they go back to to non-cons? Yeah, to non-con. Detroit Mercy, Chicago State, DePaul, Arizona State, Jackson State, and then back into the swing of things after the new year. But that, that Purdue game, looming large. Um, the women, uh, the less we say about the Notre Dame game, the better, I think, uh, that was just, 
They come back. Uh, they beat Southeast Missouri, and uh, they've got another tough one. Florida State, uh, number 13th ranked Florida State on Wednesday. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll be a, a big test. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame was unconscious in that game. I mean, they shot 55% from the field, 45% from three. Um, just really, really, really good in their first, you know, their home opener. Um, unfortunately, I feel like I feel like Northwestern caught a good team having an extremely good night. Um, but as 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 we've said, you know, with with Northwestern, like their their starting five are pretty solid and then um the question is going to be uh how the depth comes along and we're still not seeing a ton of production off the bench but um we'll we'll see how they go you know they got another month here to uh to kind of run the traps before big 10 season big 10 season starts I've been keeping my eye on this the entire podcast I was about um, to say I there's something I'm laughing like crazy about right now but go ahead no, go go ahead. I mean, so, the Crane, Evanston City Council is still flapping Crane, their gums. So Crane Chicago Business yes, must have had yes. an auto tweet set to go that said Evanston approves deal with Northwestern for Ryan Field rebuild, probably because they were like, by now, surely they must be done. <laughs> And they released it, leading to I don't know if it's a reporter or just someone there who's like saying no, I'm sitting in the room now, and it has definitely not been done. <laughs> there is no Hazard vote on the stadium rebuild yet. Hazard yeah. pay for those reporters. <laughs> yeah. Um, shout out to David Gold, who's doing the Lord's work, sitting in that uh, in that room week after week, um, dealing with just the nonsense. I watched a little bit of uh, the feed earlier this, this evening uh, before we started now. Again, Snapshot, it's 11, 12 p.m. Central Time on Monday night, and they have not, they're still, they voted for the um, the MOU. They have not voted on the rezoning. They have not voted on the, on the approval. I mean, this is going to go late tonight. I, I, by the time you hear this, I would imagine we'll have a decision. I mean, they're not going to you know, talk about this all night long, but I mean... We can't officially say the new stadium is coming, but the new stadium's coming. I, I just, I, I, I want to note that um, not a great portion of the delay, but um, at least 45 seconds of the delay uh, tonight can be attributed to one, one uh, local um, individual who was opposed, uh, opposed to this requesting a moment of silence for the death of the neighborhood where Ryan Field um, will be built, which also happens to be the neighborhood where Ryan Field exists today. And has existed for almost 100 years? Indeed. It's so hard <laughs> to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's, an emo- it's a real m- m- emotional moment. Um, I mean, again, David Gold... American hero. What can I say? Just I uh, riding riding it out to the bitter, bitter end. Lord. Uh I mean, I I mean, right. I mean, like we all know where this is heading. And if you've watched any of this, which again, if if you have watched some of it like we have, I mean, like, you'll never get that time back. <laughs> but we're several of like the committee members acknowledge openly 
like and like bitterly like we all know this is going to pass five four like and that's coming up by people who are like like going to vote against it and it's like then what are we doing just vote don't and you want to go done. home are yeah, you too good you, for your home? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we're just throwing out early 90s references left and right here. <laughs> That's how we roll. Jay, thank you so much for joining us uh, on, on the pod tonight. Um, thank you so much for uh, partnering with us as, as we move forward. We're looking forward to uh, our new Lake the Posts uh, sponsored by Teamwork Media segment uh, as we move forward. Um, we really, really appreciate it. We're excited to work with you and, uh, thanks. Thanks for coming on uh, the pod tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks guys. Keep up the great work. It's been a pleasure. No, man. I mean, it's been the best. And I, Jay, I mean, I, this is, there's, there's no one person who's done more to support this pod over the years than, than you. And to us, this is just like the culmination of that. And we couldn't be, we couldn't feel any better about it. Well, we love it, man. Keep up the great work. You guys have crushed it this year and kept us all together. The glue guys. So thank you. Before we go, one one other thing. Yeah. All of you, get out to Beer Miscuous this Saturday. Yes. Uh, yes. Saturday afternoon. We are going to be there. We are going to be doing it up. Obviously, if you're out of town for Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, cool. But if you are in the city or you're in the Chicago area, you want a chance to get that group feeling of this amazing season with a bunch of cats fans one more time come to beer miscuous um in the city uh 2 30 and we'll rock and roll i'm gonna be there and uh, there should be a pretty good crowd we're gonna have a lot of fun it's not dog friendly it is kid friendly um just amazing place uh austin has really done a phenomenal job over at beer miscuous so uh yeah i look forward to seeing as many of you guys there as, as we possibly can so uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.